0: this is Nancy Uralt, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And today I have a fabulous guest. His name is Mark Thurston, and he's a PhD, and he has a wonderful book out. And if, if you're watching me on YouTube today, it's called Discovering Your Soul's Purpose. Okay? So... Uh, it's called Finding Your Path in Life: Work and Personal Mission, the Edgar Casey Way." And this gentleman has spent years uh, at the Edgar Casey Foundation, and this is going to be a really interesting show. And please share it with people that you know because Edgar Casey uh, really had some wonderful information that he's given out. Um, to us. And before I bring Mark on, um, let me read a little bit about him. Mark Thurston is a PhD. He's an educator, a psychologist, and an author of more than a dozen books about personal spirituality, dream psychology, meditation, and mind-body well-being. Among his publications are The Essential Edgar Casey, Edgar that he wrote in 2004, and Willing to Change the Journey of Personal Transformation in 2005. Now, Mark worked for the uh, Association for Research and Enlightenment and Atlantic University in Virginia Beach, Virginia, for 36 years. Wow. And um, he is also. Uh, in 2009, he moved to a new phase of his own sole purpose, becoming the Director of Educational Programs for George Mason University Center for the Advancement of Well-Being. And in that capacity, he focuses on teaching undergraduate and graduate courses about consciousness, mindfulness, and the science of well-being. Uh, Mark and his wife of many decades, Mary Elizabeth Lynch, are co-founders of the Personal Transformation and Courage Institute, a nonprofit educational organization begun in 2000 that offers small group learning intensive, intensives. Mark and Mary Elizabeth are parents of two adult children. Hey, welcome to High Road to Humanity.
1: Hi, Nancy. Thanks for hey. having me on.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you don't mind, um, I read your book, but I would you mind telling the audience how you got involved with Edgar Casey? Because I, I find it quite interesting how you came to this uh, conclusion that this is what you're going to do for your life's
1: work. Well, I began reading the the teachings and the concepts of this man back when I was a senior in high school in the late 1960s. And at the time, I was very interested in physics and mathematics and headed towards a career in the hard sciences. And I was also very interested in religion and psychology. And many of the ideas that I read in his teachings seemed to be trying to integrate Eastern and Western perspectives. I was particularly fascinated with some of his ideas about meditation and cultivating an inner life, the study of dreams and how we can find meaning in dreams. And eventually, for lots of different reasons, I decided I wanted to become a psychologist. Wow. And over the decades, I really have had lots of opportunities to teach people about resilience and well-being and meditation and dream psychology. And certainly to try to apply those things in my own life as well.
0: Right. Well, and yet now have you become closer to God because of this?
1: Oh, I think undoubtedly. Okay. I, I already had a deep connection with my Protestant church upbringing. Right. There was a time in my late teens and early 20s when I even thought maybe I would go to seminary. Um, and Edgar Casey himself was a person of deep personal faith within his own Protestant Christian tradition. Right. Um, but he was also very eclectic in appreciating how all the world religions have things to teach us about the human condition and about the path to understanding our relationship with the divine.
0: Right. Well, I understand. I agree with that. I, I myself has, I've looked at different religions and, and there's, they all offer something um, that you didn't know. And I also thought it was interesting. And you write in the book that Edgar Casey read the Bible every year. Is that right?
1: Yes. He eventually Said that he read it through sixty-seven times, all the way through. That's um, amazing. A little catching up to do because obviously he wasn't doing that when he was one or three or five years old. But right,
0: right, right.
1: He, he was very devoted to the study of the Bible, teaching uh, sort of Bible study within the Sunday school program at his Presbyterian church in Virginia Beach. Um, mm-hmm. So he was very rooted in that sort of that worldview and that ancient tradition.
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit about this book. You wrote this book a while ago, and then you came back out with it, which I think is fabulous because I think the world needs it. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, the first edition of the book was published 35 years ago or so. Right,
0: yeah.
1: And it came at a time when I was traveling around the United States doing a lot of one-day workshops on this topic of discovering your soul's purpose. Right. I think I probably did that one-day educational event in 50 or 60 cities over about a five or seven-year period, and then the book was kind of a culmination of what I was learning from doing the workshops, and that continued to be a topic of interest for me, and even after I had left working as a staff member at the Edgar Casey Foundation and was lucky enough to get an academic job working with young adults, which I really enjoy doing, um, my study of those same themes has taken on a little bit different flavor because there's a lot of very valuable and very relevant social science research about how we find meaning in life and mm-hmm. the impact that has on our lives. Right. So I think I've been able to work with some of the contemporary scientific evidence for the same principles that Casey was talking about 100 years ago.
0: Right. So that right, so it's coming together. The scientific and the spiritual are starting to meld, I think is what you're saying.
1: So in, in many different fields, to be sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I, I like how, you know, finding your path in life, um you know, we're all born with a life purpose. And that's what Edgar Edgar Casey says. And a lot of times, I think we get boggled down with everyday life. And there's a a yearning inside to figure out, well, what am I missing? Why am I not satisfied? And you talk about the book, how, um, you know, Edgar was trying to tell us that we're here. And if we're not doing our purpose, that's kind of how we feel unfulfilled. Can you address that a little?
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think Edgar Casey was not alone in making this point. One of the things I try to do in the book is share some case histories of the spiritual coaching or spiritual mentoring he was doing with his clients that we have stenographic records of alongside people like Carl Jung and Viktor Frankl right. and people who are no longer with us. But I think we're also talking about the importance of finding meaning in life and having a sense of the purposefulness of life.
0: Right. Well, and I, I wanted to ask you this because I thought to myself, gosh, he had so many readings. How many readings did he do?
1: Do you well, know? A bit more than 14,000. Okay. So that was over a 43-year period. Wow.
0: That's crazy. Well, and so, so you did a lot of research. I mean, you pulled a lot of uh, his readings that pertain to a soul's purpose. And so that was a big research. How long did it take you to obtain all that information? It just seems like it was a lot to gather it.
1: Well, luckily, some of that was my job.
0: Oh, ah, okay, <laughs> for, okay.
1: For, for major the first edition of the book was written as a as a fruit of the work I was doing, you know forty hours a week right. so there's about two thousand of these readings that he gave for individual people right. over about a twenty year period, and these are kind of like case histories in a way for many of the people there's correspondence before and after about the background in their life or what how they may have used the advice that he gave them in the reading. And so over time, over many years, I had a chance to read most, if not all of those case histories.
0: How interesting that must have been for you, by the way. Yeah,
1: very interesting and very valuable. Yeah. What I was looking for was to see if there were some patterns in his strategy, acting as a coach or as a mentor to people. Was was there kind of a programmatic way in which he invites people to do a a self-inquiry Mm -hmm. we could replicate on our own without having to go get a psychic reading or maybe even necessarily go to a counselor.
0: Right. Well, no. And I think that's awesome. Um, So it took you a while to put this information together. Once you did and you found it helpful um, and you've written the book, have you had people come to you and say, gosh, this has really helped me in my life, or this is exactly what happened to me. And I read your book and I read Casey's reading and it, it, change things for me have you had a lot of that
1: yeah that's and that's always gratifying isn't it yeah um, so that the first edition of the book had been out for so many years that i've had lots of people write and and, and see me face to face and tell me that it had been helpful to them. and i was sort of lucky that the um the publisher came out with the second edition which is an imprint from random house um felt like this was a topic that had widespread interest. And so I was invited to create a second edition of the book and some of the examples and some of the um, stories that I had collected from these reports from people in the intervening years kind of got woven into the second edition.
0: Right. Um, I'm going to read something here because I thought it was really cool out of the book before we go to break here. We've got about three minutes, but in chapter one, I'm just going to read this so the audience can hear it. And it says not My will, but him, O Lord, be done in me and through me. Let me ever be a channel of blessings today. Now to those that I contact in every way, let my going in, my coming out, be in accord with that thou would have me do. And as the call comes, here I am, send me, use me. And this is saying, you know, God, I'm your vessel and I will do your work. This was really uh, profound. Yeah.
1: That's a lovely prayer, isn't it? It really is. Uh, that and that's... Particularly, That was sort of an affirmation prayer. It came yeah. from a reading that Edgar Casey gave to a group of people okay. who were interested in working on spiritual development in a sequential sort of way. Right. And the first chapter in that growth sequence of character development was about cooperation. And he said, okay. here's a prayer that you can use at the beginning of your daily meditation time as you're working on developing a cooperative relationship with spirit or with the divine within.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's the whole thing. Meditation really is the key is what I have found. Um, I found that over the last couple of years, the more I meditate, the more connected I am and the more information I receive. Is that what you, That's pretty much what you've discovered as well.
1: Sure. I think it's a key in a lot of different ways. Related to this soul purpose topic, I think meditation can help make us more sensitive internally to the qualities that need to be part of our life purpose. And we need a meditation life to be effective in living our purpose. It's not enough just to have a statement. Right. we got to be able to do something with it, and meditation supports that.
0: Yeah, and it calms the mind, and it gives you information. There's a lot of times where I'll meditate, and I'll pick up another person that is uh, that I haven't thought of in a while, and then I call them up and find out that they're in need, so it's, it's quite interesting how this all works, um, you know, the, the energy of it all, and, and we've got about one minute to break, but I'd like to talk about... Um, Cooperation with yourself—it's finding yourself. From what I've learned, I guess through uh, my work, is that once we go within and find our own self, and then we can be of help to others, and then our energy changes, and then other people's energy changes. Mm
1: -hmm. To me, one of the starting points about life purpose is befriending yourself. We almost all of us are under such constant self-criticism and self-attack, and if we can't make friends with ourselves and have self-compassion. I think it really makes it hard to see our own gifts and talents, let alone be able to use them in a purposeful way.
0: No, that's true. All right. Well, listen. We are here today, you guys, with Mark Thurston, PhD, and here's his book. You can pick it up on Amazon. Uh, Discover Your Soul's Purpose: Finding Your Path in Life, Work, and Personal Mission—the Edgar Casey Way. This is the second edition. Um, this is Nancy Yeral This is High Road to Humanity, and we'll hang be right on. Back.
3: We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, NancyYearOut.com, to book your first thirty-minute coaching session for free to get you on your high road.
4: Can I
0: get a connection? Hey all you high road listeners out there. I just want to take a moment to share with you our new sponsor. I've been working with BestRadioTravel.com to bring the lowest hotel prices to my loyal listeners. Stay tuned during the show to hear more about how you can save 15 to 30% off your hotel rate. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs. Not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyourout.com. That's www.nancyyourout.com. Hi, this hi, this is Nancy Earald, and we are back on High Road to Humanity. And today we have a fabulous guest, Mark Thurston. He's coming to us talking about Edgar Casey, one of my favorite people. I gotta tell you, my grandma was real big into Edgar Casey, and she used to always go outside. You're gonna love this story, Mark. She would go outside and I don't know if this came from Edgar Casey. Maybe you can help me out. But she would uh, point at the clouds and, and tell the clouds to move and say that she could do that. And that was one of the things that she had learned. Have you ever heard about that?
1: Well, I don't know if that came directly from Edgar Cayce. Um, I think he tried to emphasize that we have a close relationship with the natural world. right. And he was probably someone who would have believed in the capacity we have to have an influence on things outside of ourselves. Mm
4: -hmm. He
1: particularly talks about that in terms of the power of healing prayer and the efficacy of actually being able to direct thought in a purposeful way that can be healing to others. Um, So what you're saying is
0: I can pray for other people or?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of times when, when he encouraged healing prayer, it was as much to support the person in terms of their attitudinal and emotional and spiritual healing towards a problem, as opposed to thinking we can necessarily zap somebody with energy and make them get rid of their symptoms. Okay. That may be possible as well. Um, But he always took, you know, he he took our relationship to psychic forces and the intuitive mind in a very serious way. And I think he kind of cautions us against being too um, flippant or playful about it. I don't mean to criticize her. No, your,
0: no, no. It's just that she, I saw yeah. my grandma do that when I was a little kid and she would do that. And, and she was really into Edgar Casey. And I just wondered if that had come from something, you know, cause she's been gone quite a few years. She's probably mm-hmm. been gone 20 some years, but I just remember as a child seeing her do that and, and, I had never seen anybody do that before, and um you know it just was like the mind she felt that she had the she could use her energy to do these things.
1: yeah, I don't think that directly came from Casey, but I think the principle there,
0: as mm-hmm. you're saying,
1: is for us to appreciate the power of the mind right to therefore use it in a very responsible way, because maybe what we're thinking all day long is having a bigger influence than we realize.
0: Right, because our thoughts and our words um, have power, obviously, and that's what um, that's what changes um, our reality, like we create our own reality with our thoughts and with our words, and uh, that's the energy that um, creates our world, and I know that um, Edgar Cayce did so many readings, it took so much out of him as a psychic, I'm an intuitive too, and I wonder um, did he realize, he had to have realized that that energy he was using to go into his trances was affecting him health-wise. At what point did he really realize that, I think?
1: You know, I find it interesting that many of the readings that were given, I think it's nearly 200 that were given out of 14,000 were readings he gave on himself and about ah. himself and his questions. Okay. And there were certainly readings where he was, in a sense, self-diagnosing and self-coaching. Okay. around workload and there were indications at least in terms of his own body that doing more than two or three readings in a day was detrimental to him okay and near the end of his life he was doing five eight ten sometimes more readings in a day he'd become quite famous and it was hard for him to turn down all the requests that were coming in and mm-hmm. there's some evidence that that really um contributed in a very negative way to his his health and probably led to an early death. He died just at age sixty-seven.
0: Yeah, which is not very old, actually. You know, um, you talk in the book and you say our happiness is linked to the well being of others, cooperating with yourself, open connections to something bigger than yourself. Can you talk about that? Relationships with other people. We're down here to learn and give me a little bit of info on how you feel about that.
1: Well, I, I think almost everybody wants to have a sense of purpose or mission that's bigger than just self-gratification or self-achievement. We want to feel like we're part of something bigger. Right. Um, I know in my academic courses, I don't feel a need to be talking specifically about Edgar Casey. We're talking about sort of ancient principles about the human condition.
4: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: all of us want to have a calling that involves the greater good, helping others. Mm-hmm. And, um, So I try to work with my college students on how they can, in a sense, find their own calling, how they can begin to see more clearly what their own gifts and talents are and how those get constellated into a sense of individual life purpose.
0: Now, how do you do that? Do you, do you have them? I know in the book um, you go through a series of different things that we need to do guys. If you buy the book, he'll, he goes through a series of what we do to find our life purpose, but can you tell the audience maybe in a, uh, you know, a shorter synopsis of of how that is done.
1: Sure. What I looked for in, in Casey's material, those roughly 2000 case histories was some kind of a pattern for how he was doing what I'm calling a kind of coaching or mentoring,
4: mm-hmm.
1: or a spiritual advisor. And what I found in, in looking at those case histories was a kind of pattern of five steps. Um, the first step is to clarify your core values and your ideals. and that takes some self-reflection but what do i you know what's most significant in my life what do i really want to stand for in the way of my values maybe finding a way of capturing that in a short statement of values okay And the second step is to identify one's most significant talents and strengths and abilities and there's lots of different mechanisms for doing that i i think what we see in casey's material he's trying to act as this kind of clairvoyant coach or mentor, and he's helping them see what maybe some of their core strengths are. But each of us can do that with a little self-reflective work. And there's lots of good psychological instruments that are out there for free. One coming out of positive psychology is called the VIA, or the Values in Action Inventory. And there are ways in which we can begin to see probably what our core assets are that shape a mission. Okay. And the third step is to at least try to write a first draft of a a short mission statement that would draw on those core talents and abilities and articulate how one wants to be of service in the world. And in the book and in my classes, I try to give examples because a lot of times if we hear examples, we're more likely to kind of prime the pump and get our own creative juices going. Right. And And at first somebody's mission statement may be kind of long and over time they can find a way to make it more concise. The fourth step is to come up with some application plan, because that first draft of a mission statement is just speculative.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Is it really what's going to work? And we're going to find out only by having a pragmatic way of putting it into action. And then the fifth step is to watch for some signposts that Casey's material indicated would happen in your life more often when you're actually on track with your calling.
0: Okay. So you put together your mission statement. What is it that you really want to accomplish? And that comes from within that comes from the soul from right here. And you, you write that down. And then as you refine it, then you put that intention out into the world. And then what you're saying is then you start to see um, the universe kind of guiding you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think, there was some wisdom in what Casey had to say about signposts that would happen so so okay. one is you feel more joyful okay i I think we've all got room in our life to notice that we've had more joy in life, but right, yeah, he suggests that that emotion more than any other emotion characterizes somebody who's on track with their calling or on track with their mission. He said. Uh, you'll begin to see how the lives of other people are benefiting more from your life. So right. you asked me a moment ago if I'd had readers of my book say, oh, this has been helpful to me. Right. So to the extent that I get that kind of feedback, it would be an example of that signpost being fulfilled.
0: Right. Now, what do you think about... Um, psychics and mediums today, it seems like, you know, I, I do readings for people and I've had people do readings for me and, and they always seem to really help you, but they can't change your life. You have to change it for yourself. It's more of a guide. Like you said, with Edgar Casey. he was like a spiritual advisor. I feel like a lot of psychics today and a lot of mediums today are like the same thing, like an advisor to kind of help us stay on the right track. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, I think the, the number one thing to remember is that we're own, we are our own psychic. Okay. I, I have to be able to tap into my own creative, intuitive, inspired capacities of mind. Right. And to the extent that I rely on somebody else to make my decisions or to get my information, I'm probably headed down a way that's not going to be psychologically very healthy.
0: Got it. At the
1: same time, we all get stuck and we can turn to a friend. We can turn to a professional therapist or counselor. Many people have found that turning to an intuitive is very helpful, right. and I encourage people to go to an intuitive, if they're going to do that route, with some very specific questions in mind, Who mm-hmm. sort have of tried to get their own answer to those questions first, and then to look to the intuitive for more information right. that would help them to make their own decision. Right. I think it's really shaky ground when we're kind of turning our decision-making power over to somebody, somebody else.
0: else. Yeah. I'm with you. I what agree of, with that.
1: Think that. Somebody else can read the future and tell us what's going to happen. I mean, that's just pretty naive and I don't think it's very sound.
0: Yeah. Now, do you believe, I, I I know we all come down here with a sole purpose and we all come here to learn. And then you do talk about this in the book that God does have a plan for us, but we also have free will. So it's a fine line. You have free will, uh, you have a purpose. If you stay on track, you're more joyful is what I can perceive from this. And if you get off track, that's when you kind of have to reassess. Am I correct on that?
1: Yeah. And I- And I think we have to realize there's also just lots of pragmatic things about living in the world and a physical body. Yeah. I I had somebody jokingly say once that he thought he had found his mission in life, but he became so sort of compulsive and preoccupied about it, he wouldn't even take out the trash anymore because he was too busy doing his soul's purpose. (laughs) We still have to live here. (laughs) We, We still have to be in relationship, we have to be in families, we have to find a way to keep the checkbook balance. At the same time, we need things that at least on a regular basis feel like they're coming from a, a deeper level within ourselves, where we're getting to use our gifts and our creative talents. Whether that's in an occupational way or a more avocational way, because everybody doesn't necessarily have the good fortune of being able to have their full time job be exactly what they think their mission in life is. We have right. to be creative around this
0: i understand hey listen we're getting right ahead to commercial but um we will be right back you guys with mark thurston phd he's wonderful book if you guys need to pick this up and read it discovering your soul's purpose uh, finding your path in life work and personal mission the edgar casey way this is nancy era and we'll be right back
3: We will be right back on High Road to Humanity, but make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download directly from Nancy's website, nancyyoureout.com, so you never miss an episode of The High Road.
0: TogiNet Radio has partnered with one of the largest travel booking engines in the world to offer savings of 15% to 30% or more on hotel booking fees through our own web portal, www.bestradiotravel.com. Discover the discount you can receive by going to bestradiotravel.com forward slash Nancy to see for yourself. This is a custom booking site for the listeners of my show through TogiNet Radio. We have negotiated special rates at over 650,000 hotels worldwide to save our customers money. Our members leverage our massive buying power to save thousands of dollars by booking with us. BestRadioTravel.com can beat the best prices offered by any other major travel booking website. Please go to BestRadioTravel.com/Nancy to sign up and enjoy the discounts. That is Best radiotravel.com forward slash fancy.
4: Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle Sparking Wholeness. And now let's get back to the show.
3: We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now welcome back to The High Road.
0: Hi, this is Nancy Yearout. We're back here on High Road to Humanity. Don't forget to check out my website. It's nancyyearout.com. If you're interested in a psychic reading, go ahead and go to my website and sign up. We're here today with Mark Thurston. We're talking about one of my favorite people, which is Edgar Casey. I've known about Edgar Casey since I was a little kid. And um, I wanted to ask you, Mark, you know, and I, I didn't read a lot about this in the book, um, but maybe I I don't know. Does he talk about uh, darkness and and evil and anything like that? Because he talks a lot about light. Does he ever talk about the dark? Um, I have a lot of people who say, oh, there's still darkness. You have to watch out and you've got to protect yourself and you have to be careful. Does he address that?
1: He does in a few of the readings. What's he say? Um, I I would say if we were going to characterize Casey's perspective about evil, it would be... um, Integrated dualism, meaning that he believed that there really were inharmonious hindering forces in the universe or even in the human psyche individually. Okay. And that we have to be careful about creating something where there's a split as opposed to being able to integrate and see how good and bad work together. And so one of his statements was that what we call bad is just under good it's some principle of truth or goodness that's gone astray. I think that's really challenging, but I think it can help us to keep from demonizing some other person or demonizing a part of ourselves, but instead trying to ask, well, what's what's the principle of goodness or light even within that, that isn't healthy or isn't harmonious. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why I'd call it integrated dualism.
0: Right. Well, without dark we wouldn't have light so we have to have both to under if if everything was great we wouldn't know what it was like if things were bad so we have to have bad in order to understand good is almost what i feel
1: it certainly provides an arena where human free will has to come into play we have to make responsible choices
0: you know i wanted to see if you would address dreams um for us a little bit um and i don't know if you teach that in your in your courses but um you know, a lot of times I, I'm always like, oh, I dreamed that and I wonder what that meant. And uh, I think Edgar Casey talked about dreams too. Can you address that a little bit?
1: Yeah, in many ways, I think Casey was ahead of his time. He was doing his work at a period where maybe Carl Jung was the primary person in the world of some great notoriety who was trying to remind us of the importance of dreams. Okay. I, I think Jung in many ways had gone beyond Freud and Casey was trying to position dreams in the context of spiritual growth in a similar way that, that Jung was trying to do. And he felt that oftentimes we would have dreams that were giving us insights about the physical body so that we had somatic dreaming. Dreams like, dreams.
0: Um, like it, you mean like a message?
1: Yeah, there's some almost a self-diagnosis about things going on with the physical body that were being reflected in the dream state. Okay. I think more often than not, though, our dreams are about our personal psychology. Mm -hmm. that when we dream about other people, usually it's about parts of ourselves that that other individual is a placeholder for, that we're sort of reminded of that quality by that person. Okay. He suggests that there can sometimes be a sort of precognitive element to some of our dreams, although he hastens to add that the future is not fixed. So if there's a premonition or a precognitive flavor to a dream, it's really suggested that there may be a tendency towards this happening and we still have free will to make choices that might lead to a different kind of outcome
0: a different outcome right well and i know we're down here to learn and um but he, does he address what it's like um in heaven
1: well he was certainly asked questions about what happens when right
0: we die. yeah so i was just curious
1: and- I think the first thing he he would say is that it's hard to describe that we live in a three-dimensional, conscious, sort of material mind. Right. And there are more dimensions than just three dimensions. And it's difficult to grasp what the fourth or the fifth dimension is all about. And we have trouble understanding the third dimension.
0: Yeah. And I want to stop you a second. I had a lady on last week and she said um, as of the 12th, and I don't know where she got this information, but she just said as of the 12th of uh, January, we're getting ready to go into a higher dimension. And um, so, and I, re- I read in the book where you talk about the third, the fourth and the fifth dimensions. And um, so I just wondered if you were aware or had heard anything about that, that we were starting to ascend into a different dimension?
1: No, I don't know no. anything about okay.
0: that. Okay, all right, cool. Well, no, because here's my feeling on this, and I, I don't want to interrupt your thought because I want to talk about the dimensions and how this works, but it seems like humanity, and that's why I'm doing the show too, to be honest with you, Mark, is that, you know, I want to, um, help people realize that there's more to life than things and stuff and money and, and all of that, that we are a spiritual people and that we are here to learn and the more kinder and nicer and the more love we can put out, um, changes things here on the planet. And I believe that that's, what's going to change us to going into a new, uh, dimension, a new vibration, uh, per se. And so that's why I bring up that point.
1: So I I love the title to your show because I think every day we have choices about whether we're going to respond from the higher or more integrated parts of ourselves or respond from the more compulsive and fear-based parts of ourselves. Right. But um, it, it seems to me that we're trying to understand what Casey says about survival of physical death. He says, yes, consciousness does continue. Right. But like in one time, one time he said, you know, if, a Presbyterian dies; he's just a dead Presbyterian on the other side. It's just we carry with us the prejudices or the confusions we may have. It's not like we're suddenly enlightened. Okay. Um, and and there's something about being in a body and being in three dimensions that gives us special opportunities to grow and to change and to work with habit patterns that need to be healed.
0: Okay. So as we grow, so. Do you see a shift? Do you feel a shift? Do you, have you picked that up of people starting to wake up more and pay attention?
1: Yeah, I think on, it's kind of paradoxical. It's kind of like it was the best of times and the worst of times, isn't it? And yeah. In some ways, it seems like things are getting worse. Right. In other ways, it seems like there's signs that things really are getting better. And there's more appreciation for the interface of spirituality and science, as you mentioned earlier. hmm there's more people interested in the efficacy of meditation and some of these inner pathways. I, I think um, at the same time, there's more fear in the world than there was a decade ago or two decades ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's even a greater need maybe for these kind of healing philosophies.
0: Yes, and I think that too, because fear begets more fear. And it's just, it's, it's uh, you know, just... Snowballs, but love brings in more love. Um, Just like we were talking a little earlier, when you change yourself and change your vibration and change yourself to more joy, then the people around you feel joy. But if you're fearful, that fearful energy comes out, and all the people around you feel feel that way as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So, so in in many ways, maybe one's calling in life or one's mission in life is, in my own microcosmic personal way. How can I best contribute to a love-based world and not a fear-based world? There you go. What are my gifts and talents and strengths that are the optimal way that I could make that kind of positive contribution, even in the small sphere of people that I touch in my daily life?
0: Right. Right. Well, and I feel that way too. And that's why I'm doing the show because maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I can change one person. And if I do that, and then I've done my job, you know, I feel like, um, do you feel like that too? Do you feel that you were, that you came here, your life purpose um, was obviously to come here and enlighten us?
1: Well, when I've tried to write my own mission statement and I, every year or two, I've kind of come up with a slightly different version of it. Oh, okay. My, my latest version is, is to create learning structures that help people to get a new sense of who they are and their place in the world. And so I obviously have a chance to do that with learning structures. If I'm writing a book or if I'm teaching an academic course,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: But I try to look for ways to do that in a smaller scale way. So when I'm playing with our grandchildren, I just find that I naturally like to do little learning games with them. Okay. It's not not that I'm instructing or teaching them as much as just, trying to create learning structures for them in a self-discovery process. And I just naturally gravitate to doing things like that.
0: No, I think that's really cool. Well, children are so influenced, you know, and I have grandchildren as well. And um, uh, somebody said, and I can't tell you who it was, oh, I, I tell my child every day that they're strong and they're loved and they're powerful and they're special and they're wonderful. And boy, what a difference that makes when you tell a child that on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, there's real power in the, in positive suggestion. Years, yeah. years ago, I was even part of a research project where we were working with pre-sleep suggestion for children. Okay. This is actually an idea that came from the Casey material. Okay. that as the child's drifting off to sleep, if the parent can give positive suggestions like that, it has an impact not only on s- healthy sleep, but also behavioral changes in the days thereafter.
0: Yeah, I just think that's really interesting um, that that we know to do that. I love all this information that's coming out now because I think we are more open to this kind of stuff. And I think people are more open um, to positive affirmations and positive self talk, that type of thing. Um, you know, pay attention to what you're thinking or what you're saying about yourself. You know, your self talk. I, I talk, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, what are you saying to yourself? Cause that's, what's creating your reality.
1: Yeah. So just observing that about ourselves is a really powerful step yeah. to be able to, Casey calls it standing aside and watching yourself go by. And right. You
0: know, I read that in the book. Can so you address,
2: about it. yeah, so it we
1: got to get out of your body or watching your behavior as much as just being able to observe your own psychology and seeing that's kind of self-talk or the sort of attitudes and emotions we slip into. And so much of it is self-critical. I mean, just getting ready for today's show. I was doing some errands here in the community. I'm driving around. I, I found myself thinking, oh, there's not going to be enough time. Oh. Okay, that, I mean, that's self-talk. It's very limiting. It's not very healthy. And if I can notice that, can I just change that internal affirmation?
0: Right. There'll be plenty of time. Yeah. 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 And you know, I've experimented with this stuff. I've experimented with the time thing. Um, we've got about one minute but we'll, to break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about time because my experience has been, um, and it's interesting you would say that, because if I say, oh, I've got plenty of time or it'll work out to where I have plenty of time, I always do. But when I worry that there's not going to be enough time, there isn't. And so I, and of course they say there is no time when you get to the fifth dimension, it, that time doesn't matter. But um, I don't know. That's just something that I've noticed um, myself. When you put out that intention, uh, that's what you get back. Have you discovered that as well?
1: Well, we probably need to give me more than 30 seconds to talk
0: about <laughs> To talk oh. about All right. We'll talk about it when we come back. Hey, do you have a website or how do people get in contact with you, Mark?
1: Oh, the easiest way is just my name.com. Mark Thurston, run together as one word.com.
0: Okay, and that's M-A-R-K-T-H-U-R-S-T-O-N.com. And we're here today with Mark and his book is Discovering Your Soul Purpose. And this is Nancy Yearout, your host. We will be right back on High Road to Humanity.
3: We'll be right back with the High Road and more. Don't forget to visit Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com to sign up for her intuitive personal coaching program, or to book a psychic reading.
0: Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yerow, and I'm joining with Compassion, to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs. Not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com.
2: Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles. Entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. I'm Health for Women Radio. Host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive.
0: Mark, thanks for being with us today on High Road to Humanity. This is Nancy, your host. We're into our last segment of talking about um, discovering your soul's purpose. And we were talking about time um, before we went on a break. Would you address that? What do you think about time?
1: Well, one way of understanding time is to see it as, as a fourth dimension. Okay. And so if we came back to the question of what happens when we die... Do we move into a higher dimension of consciousness, perhaps where time is perceived in in a very um, integrated way? So in near-death experiences, one of the most frequently reported experiences is that somebody has a life review, where it's almost as if their whole life experience is there simultaneously. It's almost as if the dimension of time or or a fourth dimension is immediately um, accessible and travelable, if I can make up a word. If the fourth dimension already exists, then can we, in a sense, access that? Can we realize that who we were years ago is still somehow there, kind of alive and still capable of being touched and healed? Can we realize that maybe the potentials of who we might be in a so-called future already exists and we can tap into our potentials even right now and have that kind of relationship with ourselves that's the whole of our life? simultaneous mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of mystical
0: no it's cool
1: that would be one way of kind of bringing the after death experience into the present moment that right. the whole of who i am exists even in the present moment
0: that's so cool you know one thing you talked about i'm going to switch to subjects here one thing you talked about in the book that really um was interesting to me was money and how we view money because, and I was surprised of how Edgar Casey looked at money. He said, you know, we can have money and it, it just shows, um, you know, uh, it's just a way of exchange, but it also shows uh, our abilities to create. Can you just, you know, talk about money? Because a lot of people have a bad uh, perception about money. And it's okay to have money, I guess, is what I found from what he had to say.
1: Well, if we can think of money as one way of sort of measuring energy, okay, we, for better or worse, it's become a primary way in which our culture today seems to keep track of energy or Mm -hmm. ability to influence things. And so oftentimes it takes a certain amount of financial resources to do some of the things we'd like to do related to our life purpose. I would never want somebody to say, oh, I'll get around to living my life purpose once I get so many thousands of dollars. There's probably small scale ways to be doing your purpose, no matter what your financial condition is. Okay. And I don't mean to kind of, you know, try to sidestep some of the structural things we have within our culture that keep people impoverished. It's not something we can kind of glibly just gloss over and say, oh, if you'd only think right, you'd have the money that you want. At the same time, it's, it's part of just living practically in the world. And it is not inherently unspiritual. It's not so much that money is the root of all evil. It's our relationship that we take to money. Okay. And probably we need to be able, all of us, to have a healthier relationship to finances. One of the ways Casey encourages us to do that is to think about giving. Right. If It's not fully tithing. It's at least having a generous spirit. With our money, but also with our time and our goodwill. So, all this has to do with setting up kind of a, a law of abundance in one's life, right. in which there's a natural flow of supply. But it's a bigger issue than just financial, it's more than just dollars.
0: Well, yeah, I read um, he gave an example. There was a woman who would just give 10%. And she thought, well, as long as I give my 10%, I'm good to go. And, but that's not what it's about. It's about giving to someone when you know they really need it and helping someone with the right intention instead of just, oh, methodically writing that check every month. And I think yeah. that's what really hit home with me. You
1: know, if we become mechanical or we become kind of just transactional right. in our that then, yeah. then we're just back to, to mechanistic laws, really not engaging the spirit. It's, you know, with what intention, with what motivation are we sharing of money? Or time, or talents, or anything that we're willing to give up,
0: right? So, giving—you um, have to have the right heart intention in order to give. Otherwise, and, and the universe is affected by when we give unselfishly and when we give for the right reason. Then that uh, good energy, I believe, comes back to us. Yes.
1: Yeah, it would seem to me that that's lawful. Right. If I'm really giving out of a generous, compassionate heart, then it's almost a statement of, I know that who I am and who you are is fundamentally connected. Right. We're, we're sort of a part of each other in right. some way. And and my giving of time or my writing a check or what have you, is just a, a statement of a consciousness I have about our interconnectedness. And then there's going to be ramifications. There's going to be results from that consciousness.
0: Okay. And then people who hoard and hold on to all their money, um, because they're afraid of losing it, usually end up losing it, yes?
1: Or if they don't literally lose it, they may lose the happiness that it could have brought. Or they sort of imprison themselves in their own fear in a way that's even more destructive than if they lost their bank account. I see. That's interesting.
0: You know, at the end of the book, um, we've got about five or six minutes left. He talks about creation, and um, I found that really interesting. And I wonder, I know we've got a few minutes, but I just wonder if you talk about, um, you know, the last chapter where it talks about creation and why we're all here and God not being alone. He having us, you know, as companions. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a whole kind of cosmology and creation story in the Casey material. Right. That, um, complicated. I think it's symbolic. I think it's mythic in many ways, in the, in the truest sense of, of a, a myth that tries to tell a story about the human condition that's really hard for us to intellectually grasp. Okay. So symbol and metaphor are, are required. But Casey has his own kind of slant or reinterpretation of some of the material in the biblical creation story. Right. And it suggests that we were created to be companions with the divine. And that required us to, to learn to use our, our free will and to make healthy choices. Now, a part of Casey's philosophy was reincarnation. Right. The idea that we can come back. He always said it was in human form and not in other life forms. And This is controversial, although I guess over the years, more and more people in the West have come to at least be open to the idea right. of reincarnation. Right. You so would describe to people a sense of a individual mission statement or a life purpose in the context of a, a series of lifetimes. How maybe you've been working on developing certain gifts and talents. And, and this is sort of in a bigger story of, of your own soul growth. But I think whether a person believes in reincarnation or not, they could still say, okay, the idea that I'm here purposefully, that Having a healthy relationship with the Creator is a part of my own destiny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's sort of more fundamental to Casey's philosophy than anything about past lives or reincarnation is in the long right.
0: run. Right. What do you think about religion today and organized religion? I grew up in the Church of Christ. You told me you grew up um, as a Protestant. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel that it's becoming more spiritual? I, I don't know if that's the right word, but. I feel like maybe people are starting to realize they can connect with God through uh, meditation. And yes, it's good to go to church because I like to go to church and sing the songs and, and all of that and hear a good sermon. But I also think that people, um, a lot of the times the organized religion is not maybe what uh, it was intended to be originally. I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, Well, that's a big question. Isn't I it?
0: know. I know.
1: <laughs> I, I think to try to get kind of a big picture, Religious traditions play a lot of different roles. Mm-hmm. One is to support our own practices. If, if we can be in community with others, it can create a kind of group discipline around practices, be that prayer or study right. of sacred literature. And so I think we all need that, whether it's going to a synagogue or a temple or a mosque or a church or whatever, we need some kind of community right. that holds us accountable and that supports us in our practices Nowadays, there's just so many different options that people have, way more than there used to be.
0: Exactly. So It puts
1: a lot of responsibility back on us to make a wise choice. I think we have to be careful about sort of jumping and kind of just sampling here and there too much and never kind of committing ourselves to something. Mm -hmm. The options is great, but then if it makes us kind of be dabblers, I think that can really um, keep us from growing as much spiritually as we might.
0: Right. Well, and you know, I am, my husband's like really into um, whatever the Bible says, and I'm a little bit more open to, you know, uh, somebody wrote the Bible, but then you say Edgar Casey was really into the Bible. So his philosophy was what? That everything in the Bible he took um, as complete truth, or did he ever say, oh, well, man wrote this and it's not quite right? Or, or what was his, you know, uh, take on that?
1: He served, he believed in the the miracles more or, okay. or less as described. Right. I think he understood that there was also certain mythic truth that was there in the Bible, and we needed to be able to see kind of the metaphorical or symbolic truth in much of okay. Right. I think he felt like the Bible is a way, a powerful way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think when we get into trouble is when we say it's it's my way, and then it's also ought to be the way for everybody else. Right. But then just being the one and only way. Are, are there many pathways to the same connection with divinity?
0: Right.
1: And he was clear about what his own pathway was, but I don't think he was trying to say it was the only way.
0: Right. I just think that's really interesting. So out of all your years um, working, um, you know, with the Edgar Casey Foundation. I mean, uh, what a great thing. I mean, now you work with, you said, young adults. And um, if somebody wants to take one of your classes, what do they, how do they, uh, how do they sign up? Where do they find you?
1: Well, um, the academic classes are pretty restricted just to students who are matriculated at the university where I'm teaching. But okay. if people went to markthurston.com, that's part of a a nonprofit organization that my wife and I have about personal growth and development. And there's some online courses that we begin to develop around meditation and decision-making and ideals and attitudes and emotions and topics like that.
0: Okay. Well, no, I think that's awesome because um, people need guidance and you are um, definitely an expert in this field. And I just want to thank you for coming on my show today. I hope you'll come back. I could talk to you for another hour.
4: By
0: Thanks the way, Mark, having... <laughs> yeah, you. Um, you guys, if you want to get his book, it's, it's Mark Thurston, PhD, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, Finding Your Path in Life, Work, and Personal Mission, The Edgar Casey Way, and uh, anything you want to leave us with today, Mark?
1: I think we all need to have some kind of practice of contemplation, whether that's prayer, or meditation, or something that keeps us on a regular basis, having quiet space just to connect to the best in ourselves. We live in a very hectic world that's trying to pull us in a lot of different directions right. and we've got to find ways of being grounded.
0: Okay. I love that. Thank you. Well, thanks for being on the show. And you guys, this is Nancy Yearout, your host. And we will see you next week on High Road to Humanity. Join me next week on High Road for more stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. To sign up for my intuitive life coaching or a psychic reading, visit my website, www.nancyyearout.com. My email address is nancy at highroadtohumanity.com. So have a fabulous week and know that by staying on the
2: high road, you will make it to your destination.